Welcome back to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today we have part two of our conversation with Don Spears, uh, an incredible story from an incredible guy. Enjoy this episode. You two in particular, I've told you both this, like I feel like you have this um, presence as a couple. It's so hard to explain. I can't articulate it really, but I feel like, you know, you have such a great bond and it's just when you're with you guys, you can see it. Um, and you guys eloped. Like it's so, you know, like I feel like, and I know that to your parents, like horror right at the time, but like. Um, <laughs> it's a really funny story. <laughs> But it's so interesting, right? Because everyone talks about like, you you know, the, like what's the recipe for the kind of perfect successful relationship? And I don't know that there is one. And, and the fact that you, like, how long did you guys, were you together before you eloped? Um, so we met the fall of 1993 and we dated um, on again, off again throughout the spring of 94 and that's when we got back together and we were together all the way through that um i left uh in november um to go in the air force and uh how that sort of unfolded was i was going through a special operations um uh selection process and there was no way to know where or when or anything we just knew we wanted to be together right and we had gotten engaged on a visit she had down there uh, prior to me going to the pararescue uh selection school so fast forward a little bit and i injured my back pretty uh severely while i was down there and so they gave me 30 days of uh medical leave and i came home um while we were there we were trying to figure out you know uh scheduling and all these things because there's you know and it was very naive for us to even think that way had i made it through the whole thing the pipeline is completely unpredictable and there's there's just there would have been no way to plan a wedding right to be honest with you um so i told her one day i said you know why don't we just elope and she's like well knowing what an administrative nightmare I am. She said, if you can get all the paperwork and everything done, then yes. But if you can't do that, then we can't be married. So <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I got it all straight and got it all arranged. And uh, so we um, decided to do it. And it was the coolest part about that whole event. And I, I will... I have photographic evidence of this. This is a completely true story. Um, when we woke up that morning, we were going to get married uh, at a, a park that we used to take uh, one of my dogs to uh, up in Occoquan, the little park just before you hit the Occoquan Bridge going southbound mm -hmm. on uh, 123. Um, and when we went to bed that night, she was worried. She's like, oh, what if it's raining? And uh, I said, Stephanie, I promise you it'll be sunny out when we get married and we woke up and it was like a torrential downpour <laughs> so we're driving and i'm like i promise you it'll be sunny when we get married and so we were at her parents house in uh in herndon so it's a, about a 30 minute drive over there yeah 
and the whole way we were driving, I'm sweating it. It's like, this is not looking good. And, um, and I, this is funny how this turns out as we turned left off of 123, uh, in there, the rain stopped. I turned the wipers off. And then if you look at the pictures of when we get married, it is bright blue, Carolina blue sky, right? We had this marriage celebrant that met us there. Um, we actually had a, our, I had to go over and ask a, uh, one of the grounds guys to turn off his, uh, weed eater. I was like, Hey man, I'm getting married, married in this little gazebo right here. Can you cut that out for a second? And he was very excited. He goes, Hey, can I take pictures? And I was like, how about it? So our, our photographer was the our, our original photographer was a groundskeeper at, uh, at the Aquan state park. Uh, but you can see in the pictures, it's, you know, beautiful blue skies and yeah. she was stunning and it was, and it worked out. If you look at the timestamp on the picture of when um, we had my ring uh, resized same day, it's an hour and a half later, it's pouring down rain. <laughs> it just opened up very quickly um, for that time that we needed it. Yeah. And when I told my dad when and how we got married, he said, I know exactly when that was. I was driving on the beltway. And for about 30 minutes, the clouds came apart in this bright blue sunshine. I thought we were going to have a good day and then start raining again. So oh that was. Uh, yeah. And how many years have you guys been married? So we got married in uh, 1995. So mm -hmm. it's been 27 years. Yeah, um, we spent our 25th wedding anniversary in COVID lockdown. That was awesome. <laughs> And when did we have your, um, the ceremony, right? When did we do that? That was, uh, that was in 2005. Yeah, so, was... um, my mom passed away in 2001, but she had always wanted us to renew our vows in church. So what we ended up doing, um, was, uh, the ceremony you guys were down at, uh, we renewed, we renewed our wedding vows, um, on our 10 year anniversary down at VMI, um, with the chaplain that was the chaplain of the court cadets when I was there, it was very special yeah. to have chaplain Caldell there. Um, and that was, uh, that was awesome. It, I think it meant more to us because it was a very small group of people. It was just the, when we were trying to figure out who we would invite, it was, we said, who is influential in our relationship to our children at the time. And that's why it was a, it was a really small um, group. And I think it, made it so we could share that event with all you guys a little better than a big giant wedding. Right. It was, it was real. And that's when I think I got to meet, you know, some of your friends and like sure. even spending those few days together. It was really, really cool. All right. Thank you for that little detour. <laughs> so one of the Good things memory. that um, you, you're, the list is long in terms of all of your um, like awards and commendations and like everything that you've um, accomplished. I think you know, what, what I would ask about that, um, in terms of your success, I think is how I would frame it. Like the success in what you do, right. The success that you even had in secret service. And then that's translated, right. You talk about ETF and kind of starting over, and then you've had, you know, a lot of success, um, in terms of, you know, accommodations and awards. What, what do you think if someone were to ask you or, or like, if you're giving counsel, right. To, like, what, what is the secret to that? Like, how have you been so successful? How, how are you someone that, um, 
has it been able to achieve all of that? Um, well, I would say, I don't know that I, I'm, I, I find myself to be very average, right? Like the guys, I, my teammates, those guys do just as much. They've got, you know, they're equally as uh, impactful and successful. And they're, you know, I try to um, learn as much as I can from them. Cause I think there are probably guys, lots of guys that are better, stronger, faster, better shooters, whatever it might be. Um, so I don't know that I, I don't know if I, I couch it in that context, but what mm-hmm. I can say is, um, you make your own luck, right? I've, I've worked hard. Um, I learned early on, especially, uh, in my early twenties that you can't be afraid to fail. And if you do fail, you have to ask yourself one of two questions. Did I not try? In which case, you know, right. Whatever you weren't, your heart wasn't in it. But if you did everything you could to prepare and you left nothing in the tank, you left it all on the field and it didn't work. Either it was not meant to be, or you need to figure out a different way to do it. Right. It wasn't like I didn't try the first time I took the TEA. I did, but I hadn't prepared correctly. So then I figured out how am I going to prepare this correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going through SRT selection at 38 was, that was hard. Right. So I had to prepare for that. Going through sniper school when I was 41 was even harder. Um, so I had to prepare for that. And, you know, you, the success again is, you know, if you don't try, you'll, you'll never get it. That's, and you, you know, there's lots of guys that I run into my career that you can tell probably would be very good SRT operators or mm-hmm. would be good at some of these other things, but you can never put your finger on why they didn't try. Right. I think a lot of it is, especially in, you know, in the, um, in the corporate world, there's probably lots of people that you meet that like, that guy is brilliant. He could do a lot of things, yeah. but they, maybe they haven't just because they're, they're, there's always that, that, that failure aspect, right? That ego that's going to say, Hey, if I fail people or, or I'll be disappointed. Well, yeah. again, you can only be disappointed if you didn't try your best and you didn't prepare. Otherwise there's, you know, it is what it is. And yeah. Try again. And I think too, everything you said it a couple of times, which I, I think this has to be a component of it. Like, it seems like whatever you're doing, you're fully engaged and committed to that thing. Um, and to the success of that thing or the success of the people related to that thing. And I think, that's when I have found in, in my career too, like when, when I've had accolades or things have gone very well, it's like, it's just because I've been very present in what I'm trying to accomplish with, with the mission, right? Whatever that is. And it just seems like, as you've talked about these different facets for you, it's not like you were in secret service and thinking about something, you know, you were in it when you were in it. And then right. you were exposed to something that made you question like, oh, wait a minute, this is like another opportunity um, but it's, I wonder sure. if that's a, a part of it too. Um, yeah, like I'll yeah. say like Stephanie will always know when something big is going on at work. Naturally, I don't tell her about everything I do. Yeah. Um, but because I'll, I, I, sometimes I have a hard time 
turning that off. And, mm-hmm. you know, sure. um, and that's where I've hopefully gotten better at that as I've gotten more mature as an agent. Um, and sometimes it's just very difficult um, or something happens where it's just weighing on you. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I, the only thing I would say is um, I've been very lucky in one aspect is that in almost all of the um, cases and investigations I've been a part of, I've had very good fortune of having close agents and guys that were working with me that were equally as committed, if that makes sense. So nothing I did or have done, I could have done by myself. I've always had yeah. a, a cadre of guys that are with me or a cohort of guys that are with me that are, are equally as committed. And, you know, and, I, and I've worked with people that are not committed and I just, Hey man, if you're just a helper and you're not going to be a mediator and go out and make things happen, I'm going to not um, try and emulate what you do. And I'm not asking you to emulate what I do, but I'm going to go a different direction. And you find think, people like that are, I don't want to say like-minded, but sort of maybe like behavior. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. So like if you look at um, anybody who's listening to the podcast who's in federal law enforcement um, or probably in the corporate world, it's the same thing. If you have a group of, say, an office or a squad of 10 guys, right? And I've seen this in when I was at Arlington County. I saw the Secret Service. I saw it at JTTF. I saw it on different task force I've been on. I saw it at ATF. If you have 10 guys, there's two or three guys that are really hustling and just you know going crazy you have that middle of the road pack that is four or five guys that are competent always there always willing to help maybe don't have the same drive but they're always there they're solid and then you have three or four people that are just you know why are you here dude like getting the check don't, yeah don't don't take the risk you go do something different um so that's the beauty of you know um i think that's why guys gravitate towards srt you want to stand because that's like instead of being in an office of 10 guys where three of those guys are kind of like that with you you're on a with 30 dudes who are like that and that gets yeah Yeah. um it's competitive but it's there's also a competency and the humility of hey i'm not the best guy here i'm one of 30 and that yeah you know, that keeps you humble and yeah keeps you hungry all right so how are you on time there's like a couple other things i want to talk to you about but i know where are you okay yeah good i think we decided we're going to make this a part one and part two <laughs> there's so much <laughs> i want to talk to you about but um can we talk a little bit about uh the capital and sure. you know um that that that's it was January 6th is when I'm talking about yep. the riots right <clears throat> and just um tell me about that experience I know there was something unique that happened to you and I don't yeah. you know I don't want to, to kill the story with sort of how that was how how you made sort of you became a, a public figure in a way but t- tell, <laughs> tell us about 
um, maybe just because it's fascinating from you being notified, right. Or, or like even that, if it, to the extent that you can talk about it and then, you know, what that experience was like yeah. and, and kind of what followed. So, um, ATS SRT is part of uh, what's called the national capital response, uh, system, meaning there's lots of different entities in the capital region that may or may not need, uh, assistance, you know, just like we did at the white house when during the, uh, the riots over the summer supporting that, that type of thing. But they had, uh, put all of us in the NCR, the national capital region, um, and some of the outliers in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, they said, Hey, um, there's going to be a big rally. We don't know the size or how this is going to play out, but you know, we, there's lots of people that are on standby, but we need to, we've been requested to be on standby to help out Capitol police should something, you know, happen. Uh, actually specifically we're, I think we're on standby. If I remember correctly, uh, to go back to the white house, um, secret service, uh, uniform division, who we worked very, very well with during the, um, uh, the summer, uh, uh, riots and stuff like that in DC. Um, so I think our original mission was to, to go help them out. It should something happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a group of us that were on standby and, you know, I'm in Richmond, right? So I'm not going to, I should have probably thought about that and pre-staged and, you know, gone North a little bit. Um, but the, as it was, I just basically put on my uniform on in, in case they called, um, you know, I could just jump in the car and go. Uh, so as I was watching things, it, it was really funny how um, the meat, like the, what you see on TV is not always the way it is, right? I remember mm. seeing, um, watching the news and the way different camera angles can, can show it. I, I was like, there's nobody out there. There's that, that crowd's tiny. There's no one there. And then you see a different angle from a different network and you're like, wow, that's, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> so as that was going, um, you know, nothing was really breaking off. It was pretty calm. I was watching with my son, actually, uh, it was probably noon, one o'clock. And as things started moving down towards the Capitol, um, my phone started going off you know, over and over. And, you know, it was like, all right, you know, start, uh, start heading North. So, you know, just as a precaution, we, we may end up turning you around because that's happened you know, a bunch of times. So as I get my, my gear together and the bulk of my team is up in Sterling. And so they're already in route. They're, you know, a good, you know, hour or so ahead of me, regardless of how fast I can drive. Um, so they're heading there. And then the next thing I get is a text alert that says, uh, they've had perimeter breaches at the Capitol run code, meaning run lights and sirens. So, you know, now it's like, holy shit. Yeah. And I'm trying to, uh, get up 95, right. Never easy. Um, with lights and sirens and, you know, you'd think people would see a black SUV with, you know, lights and sirens and no, Hey, but it's, it's not that easy. Right. It's not, they're a little bit more subdued. So that was uh, an adventure. Right. Um, 
So I got there just after um, my team had entered um, and it was a full on melee inside the rotunda. They were fighting with dudes, put, trying to push them out. Um, I remember as I pulled in to, uh, I think I got the alert that there'd been a shooting. Um, there'd been shots fired at some point while I was in route. And when I got up there, it was very chaotic, right? I was a singleton dude getting out of a car, putting on body armor and stuff by myself in the middle of this crowd. So I just had to park somewhere. Um, and the crowd was just everywhere. And I remember people yelling at me, taunting me, and I didn't know for sure what was going on. I was like, man, what is it? Because again, I'm trying not to read a phone while I'm driving 90 miles an hour, 95. Um, and I walked in, linked up with our team right as we were, um, they were clearing uh, different office spaces. Mm-hmm. And they had just breached um, one of the offices up there. Um, they knew there were staffers inside, but they wouldn't open the door. And they couldn't, you know, for the life, they just couldn't figure out what's going on. They had done what they had been trained to do, right? Like, hey, lock yourselves in, don't. Um, so I got up there right as uh, they breached that. And there's a very uh, famous picture um, of uh, one of my good friends, Kevin Smith. Uh, some of the, I think it's one of the iconic ones is him uh, going through the office, um, you know, clearing it with staffers in the background that were pulling out. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, it, it was surreal at that point. Uh, we were like, hey, we need you to clear this giant building that I've been in many, many times as a Secret Service agent. And I was like, it's a really big building. <laughs> you know, and there, again, there's lots of other partners that were there. So I'm just right. recalling kind of what I yeah. saw. But I, I do remember very distinctly um, these young staffers walking out absolutely terrified. Um, and you can see it in their eyes. Yeah. And I remember a Capitol police officer asking them, why didn't you open the door? We told you it was the police. And the staffer looked at us and said, that's what they said. So there had been people up there banging on the door and you know, trying to make entry. And the poor girl just wanted to go back and get her shoes. She had taken her shoes off. Um, so she had to run. She could. Um, right. So that was a, you know, um, so we kind of fast forward that into um, a lot of stair climbing. Um, we got our leg day in, going up and down the steps to clear different uh, elements to make sure that there wasn't any, any stay behinds. We were, you know, um, they had they had pulled the uh, the Senate out of the all, all the Congress had been relocated, um, and eventually they got everyone pushed out and all but one of the doors secured and there was a door on the uh the supreme court side that was literally had probably a thousand protesters on one side trying to pull it open capitol police officers holding it by hand on the other side because uh they had fouled the uh security mechanism that would allow the door to stay shut they there's some Oh. Uh, some debris that they put in there. I don't want to get into exactly how they did it, but um, so it was literally a tug of war. That's incredible. And 
you know, that, that lasted for a while. Um, we were preparing to help them out, um, with a more dynamic, uh, clearance of that patio just to get the door closed. So we could then chain it shut from the inside. Um, but it ended up getting, uh, cleared by Capitol police officers. Um, and then it was, um, kind of a, you know, what's next phase. Um, and when they said, Hey, they're coming back, they're going to continue to vote. That was, uh, my timelines are probably, I'm sure a little bit messed up, but yep. early evening, late afternoon, five, six o'clock, they said, Hey, they're coming back. We have an hour and a half to clear this building. Cause again, we'd done a, a, um, a primary clear, but that was, you know, and then it was, we need to go to every single room in this building and make sure there's no one there. Uh, and that was a, pretty big task we got yeah. a chance to work with our capital police partners um and it was pretty seamless they were great great guys going through getting us into places we had uh washington field division agents regular agents that got um mm. uh put in with our our movement elements and you know i talk about you know being humble in uh in the company i keep right um mm. There's some really good, I should say, there's some excellent operators that got tasked with multiple missions going in different directions and they knocked it out of the park. And so um, I remember going through these offices in the hallways and my friend uh, Jeff said it best. When you see the, the destruction and the stuff that had happened and the, you know, it made it look small. It was, it used to be this giant rotunda of, uh, and symbol of democracy to me. Like when I go through this as, as a secret service agent and now there was trash and body armor and just stuff everywhere. It didn't, it didn't, yeah. it was, it didn't compute if that makes sense. For sure. Um, and just all so, that chaos, like how do you, how do you make sense? And when you show up, like that's such a, um, visual for me. And when we talk about it, like that, that like you pull up, you like drive up, you're putting on your, it's just so yeah, yeah. It's just insane. Right. And then there's so much going on around you. Um, and how, how do you kind of make sense of that and then know your part? Um, would you initially you don't, Yeah, you just need to get, you know, a first thing you gotta do is gotta get, get there safely. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it doesn't do any good if you get in a wreck. Um, and then you got to get in there and locate your guys and figure out. And, you know, one of the um, mantras we have is, you know, find work. And the first question you ask is, where are they and how can I help? And right. then, you know, it doesn't matter what your primary job thing is. You're just going to find work and fill in. Yeah. And that's sort of how that works. You know, we have a very yeah. close team um, and we had great capital partners that were with us um, yeah. throughout it. That's uh, and there's the, and not there's, to say there's only ATF that's yeah. there. There's FBI and marshals right. and other guys over there. That is when when everybody comes together. That's a pretty cool, like, dynamic uh, environment, right? When all the when everybody works together like that. What? Um, so tell us about the photo, right? Because there was a uh, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that. We'll have to like somehow figure out how to post it. Um, uh, no, we don't need to do that. <laughs> um, so it's. That. Um, so it was probably around uh, 
1230 or so that night. And, you know, the capital, the FBI had helped secure the outer perimeter. We were on the inner. The grounds have been cleared. We were confident that there's no, no one left there. And uh, so all the members came back and they were going through uh, the certification process. And Capitol Police uh, came to our team commander and said, hey, can you keep a 10 or 12 man element here just in case? We're sending them all home, but we'd like you guys to stay. He said, yep, no problem. So we'd all kind of been staged in the rotunda, just sort of the center of gravity. Um, so we sent some guys down um, to a down room that was down uh, where they wanted us. We started putting some of the gear away and at one point, it was just uh, the team commander, myself, in the rotunda. And two guys were on their way to the, coming back from the Bearcat uh, after they'd stowed some gear. And I, remember I, was, I was laughing. I said, you know, Rob, we've been in some pretty shitty places together. And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, we have, actually. And so we started cleaning up the area that was kind of where we were, you know, all of our mess. And I was like, you can't leave this like this. And uh so I take this couple bags of trash to a kind of a, a point that was by the, by actually by the doors that were trying to get, they were trying to breach. I just saw there was two bags over there. So I figured maybe there should be four, you know, just that's where the guys would be picking it up. And I, this is a, a little known fact, but I was met there at the door uh, by representative Kim. And I had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. I should have been a little bit more astute as to the uh, congressional pins, but it's been a while. When I was in Secret Service. We knew them all, but I honestly, I hate to say this, I thought he was a staffer. I didn't know who he was. I was and I remember him saying to me, um, are there any more bags? And I said, you know, dude, I don't know. I can try and find some. <laughs> so we found some and um, we had, kind of policed up our stuff and we were getting ready to relocate. And the other two guys uh, had come in from dropping gear off, but the the place was still a mess. It was just a wreck. And uh, representative Kim was, he said to me, he said, I just can't stand to see this place looking like this. Mm -hmm. It, it, It hurts me to see it like this. And I, you know, agree with him and, I said, I just, I can't believe this has happened. And I kind of went off to where our team guys were and we were getting ready to relocate to where the bulk of our team was down by uh, Senate. And I looked at Rob and I, he looked at me and I said, and again, I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. I said, we can't let this poor staffer do this by himself. Let's help him out. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information. I never knew that guy was a congressman and I think he's a complete stud. He didn't care about his title or yeah. the honors he's earned. He was there. To, and that's sort of where that picture came from. And, yeah. You know, right before we say, we're picture, talking about, a, we're talking about a picture that was on the Washington post. That's what we should say. Right. It was Wall Street Washington. journal. Wall street journal. Yeah. yeah. Like front page. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> um, at, uh, you know, right before that picture was taken, I remember we had 
we found a uh, uh, a set of body armor that was on the ground that someone had been wearing. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, yeah, this is, I don't know why you wear body armor to a political protest, but, you know, that's kind of, you know, and I remember <laughs> right. pulling the, the plates out and the date of manufacture on those, on the plates, there were level, uh, there were rifle rated plates, um, was December 27th. And these plates were then found there, you know, uh, you know less than two weeks later. Um, so they're, they're freshly, freshly made. And someone had gone and purchased them, ordered them, whatever it may have been for that yeah. event, which I thought was really odd. Um, yeah, for sure. What an experience. I, I mean, and that's the other thing, like, I, I guess just a couple more questions, like in terms of all of that, like what you've seen throughout your career, right? I, I, I mean, it's a lot of harsh kind of the underbelly of, of humanity, right. Of, of what you're seeing. And so, um, you know, how do you stay positive? How do you, how do you understand that it's not, you know, it's, it's hopefully like a a percentage of, (laughs) right. It's like, I would, I could see that over time. Um, you know, I had like a, uh, not that I'm likening my work to yours, but for a long time, I was in a, what I would consider like a 24 hour kind of risk management. If something went down, they called me kind of job um, for eight years. Um, it was brutal. Right. And and like, the, and seeing a lot of sad, harsh things. And I think eventually I was like, yeah, I can't, this is just, it's just too much for me. Eventually I had burnout. So you, you've had a whole career of this, right? So how do you kind of maintain perspective with that? Um, well, I, 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 two things. Um, I try and keep it in context, right? Yeah. This is not, you know, indicative of population, people, situations, um, and at large, this is a very specific event or search warrant or arrest warrant we're carrying out targeting, uh, you know, uh, drug trafficking organization or armed criminals or whatever it might be, you have to put it in context. These are their choices that they've made. And that's the context I try and keep it in is, uh, you know, these are specific to these people or this event. And it's not indicative of uh, the United States. And, you know, I, in America at large, right? This is put in context. This is, you know, uh, it's specific to these people. And that helps me um, keep that, you know, that balance. And the other thing was actually learning to uh, not keep it all in. Um, There was, I've had some moments where, um, well, not too long ago, uh, that I had, uh, an event during a, uh, an operation we had that really affected me. And mm. it wasn't until I finally just shared it with my wife and what I was experiencing with that, that um, I learned that, you know, you can't do it all on your own. And mm. she doesn't want to share those experiences with me. She wants to share my life. And if I'm hurting off something, she has to be able to help me. And if I don't do that, if I don't, you know, have that 
how do I put it? Like, it Open. was never a, 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 yeah. an aspect of trust or being vulnerable for my wife, right? I just didn't want her to have to know that. Right, like the burden. The things we've seen. Like, it just, but the, that's the, um, once you can figure that part out and that balance, and that helps for, for me, again, it's all individual, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of the bigger things. That's really, that's helpful. And I think too, the, the, like knowing when to ask for help and then um, in a, in a way that compartmentalization and also like you're hired to do this thing, right? Like it, that is generally going to be with the, these type of, like, you know, that going in, it's not like it's right. a surprise <laughs> who you, who you're around yeah. and like what you're dealing with from that perspective. Okay. So as we um, there's a couple of things when you think about your life as, as um like supporting federal law enforcement. And you think about for you, you know, as you know, I'm a big soft skills uh, champion. And so um, I'm curious from your perspective, either for yourself or even as you think about, because now you're training a lot of people and you're seeing a lot of young talent come through or yeah. I should say, you know, emerging talent. I what are the things- I'm old. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so I'm a dinosaur. I'm on the way out. <laughs> What do you see if, 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 because I'm all about like, how can we help people be better? What's, what's the constructive feedback we can give? So what do you see as some of the gaps? What do you see as like, if you're going to work on a couple of soft skills and, and by that, I mean, you know, the kind of collaboration, influence, communication, what pick your one, right. It's kind of not the technical aspect of what you do. Um, sure. You know, what would you say? What would your counsel be? Um, I, I remember you asking about this and I, um, I would say the number one thing is to understand the importance of relationship building, mm-hmm. sincere relationship building, right? People will always know if you keep a relationship because you need something, right? Uh, and those are vapid and shallow and no one will care. Um, I've been very fortunate to have really deep, longstanding relationships throughout my career in lots of different venues right and you never know when they're going to need you or when you might need something from them and i had uh my former supervisor um i i I didn't call him he's a leader right uh this guy brian swan he told me one day he sat me down and we were talking about things and he said donnie the every relationship in your life will be based off of two things, trust and communication. If they don't trust you, you can speak Shakespeare and they won't care. Mm-hmm. And the converse is true. They can trust you, but if you can't convey your message to them, they won't matter. Um, and that's what I mean by they have to be sincere. They have to be, you have to be vested in developing those relationships. And it may not be something you touch every day, every week, every month. Um, but a sincere interest in, in developing those relationships has been very, very critical. Um, and I think that's, I don't know if it's a lost art, but I know that you can absolutely tell when it's not sincere and that doesn't work for people. Right. Um, and I think and it's then, how you show up, right? Like if you're authentic and you're how you show up to the relationship too, right? Like if you're oh, sure. authentic and you're real and you're, it, it, that has a place also. Right. And you can't, you can't come into something like that um, uh, 
with any false bravado or lack of capability. You have to be genuine. You have to say, Hey man, this is what I bring to the table. This is what I'm trying to, you know, you, you can't, uh, have more, uh, more hat than cattle when it comes to relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I love that. And the, uh, the other thing I would say is learning to write, hmm. um, written communication is a, um, well, as an English major, it was, you know, I love it. Like, can you tell me to write a, a white paper on something? I'm like, I'm in, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you tell me to do my credit card statements and administrative things. I, you know, I, I fall apart. Right. Not so much. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, um, I learned to write in college effectively and I'll give you two examples. I know you're probably tired of hearing me talk, but, um, Never. so especially in law enforcement, um, you think about what we do, right? If I'm going to write, if I'm going to get a search warrant or arrest warrant for somebody, I'm going to go and tell a stranger, a federal judge, a story based on fact and case law and all those other things. And I have to be able to articulate that in such a way that I'm going to get what you need, convince this stranger, then say, okay, you can go enter this man's home without his permission. You can go take this man into custody and, you know, and take away his freedom based off of what you're telling me. So it has to be, you know, truthful above all else. Right. Um, But that ability to, um, to write is so critical. And the flip side of that, um, when my son went to VMI, um, he, he's getting ready to leave. And, you know, it's very different now with the amount of electronic access they have, right? So it was very isolating when I was there. Um, you had, we had pay phones. I don't know if some of your listeners even know what those are. And we had letters, right? Wow. So now they, it, that isolation is um, softened quite a bit. They can get on a Zoom call. They can, you know, use a cell phone in the afternoons or whatever it might be. Um, it's, just, it's just very different, right? Yeah. Um, but when we were leaving, uh, Joseph said, dad, you know, um, don't call me during the week. Don't text me during the week. If there's an emergency, text me, you know, natural call back. I'll call you on Sundays. Uh, other than that, I just, you know, I just want you to write me letters. So during his first year, we wrote letters back and forth. Wow. And that was our prime, I'd say our primary, um, but I love that, that was how we did it. No, it made, it was a huge, um, oh huge difference because you, there's, uh, it, it's, it's not even geometrically calculable how much more you get yeah. from a written letter. Um, and, it, and it's delayed, right? It's not instant. It's not, and it's not email, right? These are handwritten. Um, so you have to put some thought into it and you have to, you know, it goes back and forth, right? Send a letter, you're going to get a letter. Yeah. Send a letter, you're going to get a letter. Um, but there were times in, I could see his progression through the first year and the things that we talked about that would happen, yeah. happen to him. And then, you know. Um, I love that. I'm going to make you do that. <laughs> I, if I could tell you any piece of advice to parents yeah. since I to school, turn off your tweet box and you're, you know, don't get a real conversation going and don't call them every day. They don't need that. They need to 
figure it out. And if there's an emergency, yeah, we have the, you know, the, the box that will, you know, connect us right away. Other than that, you know, um, you did that every year or just his first year. We did it, uh, first and second year. And after that, he didn't really need it as much. And, you know, but that, that first year was crucial. Um, and that's, but again, that, that, that's the year that he's supposed to be isolated and find the strength through his brother rats and his roommates and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I, that's my, one of my regrets is that we did not keep that going. Um, but certainly for that first year, that's yeah. how we did it. And it that's made a amazing. huge difference. All right. So we've talked, we've covered a lot of grounds and yeah. you've talked a lot about um, your own you know, path and resilience, which I think is extraordinary. What, if anything, would you say, I know you said you were kind of a punk in high school, but, um, (laughs) a big ego, but you know, if you, if you had to give yourself some advice to make it a little bit easier, what would you tell young Don? Um, well, probably the first thing I'd tell young, young Don is learn to pick your battles. Don't pick two battles. Um, by that, I meant there's a lot of things that I would be willing to die on the hill for that just weren't worth it. And it was, you know, I'm going to battle every time regardless vice. Hey, is this worth it? This is, you know, not, not, I would say not worth it. It's, there's a different way to get around this. Um, I was looking for a fight when I should have been looking for a solution a lot of times. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then, um, you know, I can remember, um, I think one of the reasons I was a bit of a punk when I was little or younger is I was chasing ghosts. And by that, I mean, I was, uh, so I'm much, much younger than my older brothers. Right. So as I get into that high school, early, you know, kind of phase of my life, these guys are captains and majors and, you know, I've got a Navy SEAL. I got a brother who's an A6 uh, BN, a brother who's an Anglico in the Marine Corps. They were heroes to me. They were larger than life. And I think I didn't realize at that point in time that I wasn't in the arena to compete with that because I was young. Right. Right. So I made a lot of mistakes and took a lot of chances and did a lot of things that I regret because I was, I wanted to be aggressive and big like they were, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, um, for sure. That was, uh, you know, a lot of regrets. Um, and then understanding that I have enjoyed the life I have now with, yeah. you know, I've, I've been married longer than anyone in my family. <laughs> so, and I'm the youngest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I've only had one wife. The other guys have a couple. Um, so, but, you know, being yourself and being true to what makes yeah. your life um, mean something to you and not, not live in comparison to other people. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, Don, it's. And that's, um, you know, as again, I, I look back on some of those things and, uh, you know, be fearless, be relentless and becoming a better person. Right. Like yeah. it's, you can't fear failure. That's, yeah. you know, you can fear not trying. You can fear not preparing. 
you can fear quitting. You just don't do it. And you want to fear it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, uh, I'll just leave you with one. Okay. One little quip that, uh, All I, right. I learned, um, in some of my travels and training down with the Navy and something I used to say to my young lacrosse players and it will sound harsh at first, but it's true. Okay. Um, and they would tell us, Hey man, if you want to get better at something, it's very simple. Suck less <laughs> just a little bit every day. Yeah. That's all you need to do. So if you can have something you're working on and you just make yourself a half percent better every day, well, in a month, you're 15% better. And you do that again in two months, you're a third better than you were when you started. So it's not about being good at everything. It's about willing to get better. And yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that, 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 that phrase doesn't go over very well with sixth grade parents, but then they get it and then they're, they're okay. I love it. You are amazing. You gave me so much time. I love it. Um, this has been such a pleasure and I'm, I'm like so honored to be your friend, but I really, I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Don, for sharing your inspiring story. Uh, I loved hearing about all of the different, uh, milestones throughout your career and all of the great advice, um, in particular. And it's something I've been thinking about since we had that conversation, um, is what you said about um, how how you can improve a skill or how you can work to make yourself better at something. And I think the quote is, if you want to get better at something, suck less. <laughs> I think it's something so necessary. And because if you just try to suck a little bit less every day, you'll, you'll see improvement, no doubt. Uh, thank you so much to Missy for producing this episode and for Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our Relatable community for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe. Uh, you can find Relatable on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. You can find more about TFA Soft Skills and Relatable by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. This is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Until next time, stay connected. <laughs>